Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Last week, I started out by saying that the next couple of episodes are going to be our Christmas treat for all of you. So last week, we opened one present, and now we're about to open another. That's because our guest is Dr. Michaela Hempen. Michaela has been one of my Click That Teaches coaches, and she's a very dear friend, and she's also been doing some just just extraordinary work under the guidance of Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz on cribbing. Her subject is a quarter horse mayor named Blondie. Last week, we explored some of the details of the cribbing project, and then we moved into looking at what Michaela was doing to change Blondie's attitude towards saddling. And all of this is relevant because in the midst of the cribbing project, just when Michaela was reaching a critical stage in the study, Blondie's owner decided to sell her. And that would have meant the end of the study if he had sold her out from under Michaela. And she was just at that stage where she was reaching truly a critical stage in the study. So to have it end would have been, basically, it would have been the end of the study. would have been catastrophic. So Michaela reached out to the clicker training community. And through their generosity, she was able to buy Blondie and continue with her work. And it's turned out to be a really good investment because Michaela has been taking what she's been learning from the cribbing project and she's applying it to other aspects of Blondie's training. You may not be dealing with a cribber, but you could well have a horse that came to you with a lot of unwanted baggage. And that's very common in the horse world. We buy horses that other people have handled, other people have trained, and we have to deal with that history. We are dealing with crossover horses. For the cribbing study, Michaela kept her interactions with Blondie to a minimum. But now that Blondie was her own horse, she needed to prepare her. For one thing, she needed to prepare her for a move to to the boarding facility to the property where Michaela kept her own horses, which was a stark contrast to the very impoverished environment in which Blondie had been living up to this point. So Michaela needed to prepare her for the move. And she was also going to be more than just a cribbing project. Now that she was Michaela's horse, Michaela wanted to integrate her into the training that she does with her other horses. But what she discovered is that Blondie didn't just have holes in her training. She had huge craters in her training. So Blondie said no to just about everything. She said no to haltering, to leading, to saddling, to bridling. Michaela could have done what Blondie's previous owner had done, just ignore the pinned ears, the swishing tail, the snapping teeth. He could ride Blondie. 
he could make her behave. We've all heard it. Oh, she's just being a mayor. She's just testing you. You just need to show her who's boss. Now, that was Blondie's world. Or you could do what Michaela wanted to do. You could step out of that command-based world where the horse's well-being is essentially ignored and create for Blondie a very different lived reality. So how you go about doing that is what we'll be exploring in the next part of our conversation with Michaela. So this is the second present for you that we're about to open, and it's going to look at the Saddling Project. So enjoy. If you had not bought her, she had you know, stayed at the other barn, and, and you had completed phase one of the cribbing study, and then you know life happens, and you move off in a different direction, and so on. It would have been really interesting. You would have had great data. But the fact that you bought her, and she is now living in your in your herd, and that you're not just treating her as the cribbing horse, but you that she is becoming integrated into your equine family, and you want to do things like ride her, and you want to ride a horse that is welcoming to the whole procedure. That's what's really important. So the the work that you did around that and some of the videos that you were sharing with me through the winter, I mean, it was just fascinating to see the change in her. Yeah, because you you documented this whole training of the saddle almost as if you were doing a yeah, research <laughs> project. It was very um, uh, systematic. You, you have a lot of data. Can you talk about uh, what you did with her to from her being very uh, reluctant to be saddled to her welcoming the process? Because a lot of what you learned, I suppose, from the first, from the cribbing study had some ripple effect in this other project. Yeah, definitely. No? I'm, I'm just thinking, I, I probably the, the observing her trying to, trying to build that clean loop of eating hay, already at that moment probably trained me to be really careful about her expression because those are predictors of going to crib. So I'd need to be really careful in building that behavior of eating, continuously eating hay calmly, even when I'm raising criterion and maintaining that um, probably made me more aware of, of her expression. And that teaches me early, 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 yeah, early. And that on. teaches me to to read her when I start putting the lead on and approaching with the saddle. So the saddle baseline, uh, in the sense, was more experimental. I did not actually plan to to ride her yet. I just wanted to know what she's doing. And um, I think it was a year before I even thought about you know going towards riding and so I had her just being being tied at the grooming area and I would be standing next to her and you know stroking her back and see how she's reacting to me being there stroking her back putting a little bit of pressure on her back walk back and forth go change side etc and then I would go and get the saddle and carry the saddle to her <laughs> and she would pin her ears she would start actually cribbing on the rope 
um, that was sort of the said, oh, hang on, <laughs> something going on there. <laughs> I put the saddle away, I went back. Uh, so that's an AB, AB reversal. So I went back uh, to standing next to her, just stroking her being, and she was totally fine. I walk and I approach again with the saddle, tense, pinned ears, tail swishing, you know, swiping. So it was pretty clear that it was linked, not to me, but to the saddle, mm -hmm. which is important to check because it could also be you. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and that's an important yeah. process to go through and to see how it's done, because often, you know, if we don't do that, we're really just guessing. We're shotgunning. Right. And it's that whole throw spaghetti at the wall and hope something sticks kind of approach, which can sometimes get you into worse trouble than, than otherwise. But to, to be able to say, it's the saddle, it's some element of the saddle approaching that is causing this change in her behavior. Because if it's you approaching the saddle or, or, or approaching without a saddle, just approaching, then that's a... It's a different plan. <laughs> it's a different plan. That's right. So who was it I was emailing them? Oh, it was uh, it was Sarah Mealy, who, mm -hmm. who's, who we've just had a conversation with, but she's she's working with a horse right now who is really uh, ne needle shy, needle phobic, oh. and mm. she said, you know, I I can do all this, I can you know poke him with pens and all these pokey things, but I walked up to him with uh, a syringe in my hand totally gone knows the difference <laughs> yeah yeah it's fascinating yeah important information to know yep. yeah yeah and and we have to remember that they can really discriminate a lot you know i was looking again i don't know why this weekend i was looking at because uh, i i was trying to remember these researches in um uh paul chance's book and I, I went to this research where they tested the ability to, I think it was rats, were able to discriminate between Dutch and Japanese. And then there was another research where pigeons were uh, discriminating between the work of, I think it was Bach, Bach in, and yeah. Hindemith. Yeah. So they, they have a very good discrimination ability our animals so between a syringe and a pen and maybe your body language is a bit different when you're coming in with the syringe rather than the pen but yeah we have to remember that they are quite perceptive yeah what is the procedure because you know you could walk up to blondie and she's fine because she is seeing that the routine of saddling that this is not the saddling routine that you're in. So it's like, how far back has this rippled? You know, someone once told me they were able to get their horses in the train in the trailer, but not if the motor was running. Yeah, yeah, it was different hmm. for the horse. Yeah, or if they were wearing their barn clothes, the horse would load. But if they were wearing show clothes, <laughs> the horse, you know, there are all these discriminators mm -hmm. that we need to be Which aware we can of. use to our advantage, absolutely. as Michaela just showed us. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's not just a bad thing. It can be a good thing yeah. if we know how to use it. Yeah, and if we know how to ask the questions. And, and that's what you were showing so clearly, 
is how to ask those questions. So you were basically asking Blondie, you know, are you okay with this? Yes or no? And Blondie was able to say, yes, this I'm fine with, this I'm fine with, this I'm not fine with. And how did, how did you make that evolve? Because I know in the end, she was accepting the saddle very well. So <laughs> what happened in between? Well, um, maybe I add that at this, at our place, she had not been saddled before. So this was really not connected to the, to the place. So she, that was an, that's another piece, you know, she has not been uh, saddled there. That was really the first time I actually put a saddle on her in that place. Right. So it was also not linked right. to the, to the, to, to the place. She had no previous experience of being saddled in that environment. So I, um, you know, you start with an environment where your horse is comfortable. That was not the environment to do it. So I began in the paddock where she lives, separating the other horses, which we can easily do. And I, um, I started with teaching her to target under a bareback pad. So she, I would hold up the bareback pad and she would bring herself under it, you know, that was the the first the first step on that. So it was like uh, at a distance back targeting kind of a idea. Her her back she had to come yes. under yes. the rug, not touch it, but just be well, under I could, it. Then obviously there were you know you you teach it in an approximation, obviously, but it it you know in the end I hold it up, she would you walk would... herself under the saddle the bareback pad, and I could drop it down on her and she would also adjust. So if I'm not lowering it, she would realize that the behavior is not complete. She'd adjust her position and then I would lower it. Okay. You wouldn't change your no. orientation. Yes. She would orient properly exactly. so that it was perfectly exactly. underneath. And then I at would the right okay. that. And that yeah. was very quick. I would say I did two sessions of that. That was, that was quick. That was okay. easy. So that was with the pad, not with yes. the saddle. You would have, it would have been with the saddle would have been at the beginning for you, a very good uh, muscle uh, yeah. gym. That was the reason to start with so, that. Well, it was also yes. not the saddle in a way, which exactly. was poison, and then, but so, then after yeah. that, very quickly, I did the same with the saddle and it was, it was same easy, you know, hold the saddle up, she would bring herself under the saddle. And uh, then uh, we thought, okay, um, the girth, because in another baseline I did, I did the complete saddling. And then it was also clear that the girth, closing the girth, we know that, you know, from horses, young horses, especially that it's more the girth that they do not really like. And then Alex had suggested to use, you call it a polo wrap or a leg wrap. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to, to use that. Without the saddle, without the saddle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Only that and to, right. you know, to make her but feel I wanted, right and I but I want it wasn't just that you were going to put the polo wrap over her back and make it you know girth like I wanted her to experience having other parts of her body girthed up, right you know? so you put the yeah. wrapped put it put it over her neck put it around her leg put it over you know put it over different parts of her body before you mm -hmm. put it over her back and brought it up under her belly and mm -hmm. one of the things that I really liked about the, when you held up the, well, there are many things that I liked about that. 
when you were holding up the saddle pad and she was coming and bringing herself under it, is that she was a very active agent in that process. So the degree of control that she had was enormous. But it's not just, I'm going to stand still while you do things to me. Mm -hmm. Tolerating. You know, I'm standing here at, at um, yes, I've got, I'm, I'm keeping my nose on a target, for example, while you do things to me. But she actually had to move to the saddle. And throughout the process, there, in, throughout the saddling process, there were points where she had to make where uh, she was the active agent. And I think that was a huge part of the shift in her emotional states. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then also starting with finding that starting point where the loop is clean. And, you know, you're, that, that, that finding that really small place that can look like it has absolutely nothing to do with the end goal, but it has everything to do with the end goal. Which is where we're getting mm, yeah. at now, because so one one yes. important piece is that you're not training where the problem is. So I'm not training where she's, you know, showing me the behavior of, you know, pinning her ears and not liking it. I take her to a place where she's comfortable and she's in the emotional state that I want to have linked with the end behavior. So I work in the paddock, which mm. for her was the best environment. And uh, yes, so I took the the leg wrap, you know had it all out and said, okay, let me see if she would target, you know, if that would be okay around her neck, et cetera, et cetera. And reading her body, you know, expression and she was a little bit tense in her face. And I was like, hmm, that's not working. <laughs> so I had a think and then I said, okay, I, you know, the leg wraps are rolled up like into small tiny rolls. And I said, okay, let me start with that. So I actually had two of them. So one I had on the floor that she could use as a target. And the other one I hold in my hand uh, close to her neck, but not quite until she, she would bump with her neck into the roll and I would click and treat that. And then I hold it a little bit further, click and treat that until it's really clear body targeting. So she with her neck, she targets to the rolled up leg wrap and then I would go a little closer down uh, the neck as the first it was around the pole area then closer down the neck repeat that and I would go to the shoulder repeat that and there was I was always expecting her to shift into me not me going to her and mm -hmm. then I would go to the chest and then to the girth area and then I would go away a little bit and ask her to come forward to me and I would repeat the same, the same thing. Yeah. You were very systematic and you also included a lot of pauses because you used grown-ups mm. in that whole sequence. So it wasn't just, uh, you weren't building up this momentum of move in, click, treat, move in, click, treat, move in. There was, there would be pauses and then you would hold it up and she would move in, click, treat, then there'd be some, you would return to the grown-ups, and that was very much woven into your whole procedure. And I think those pauses were yeah, important, they were important. As well. Yeah, definitely, yes. And you want that to be calm, because in the end, I want her to stand calmly, yeah. not not a targeted, target, 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 target. <laughs> you know? 
Right, and then uh, basically from 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 that kernel of body targeting, you know, starting from the pole, neck, shoulder, chest, girth, moving away, she comes to me. We repeat with the pauses in it, etc. I would then expand the rapid tiny little bit. So I would take it, you know, open it, but then hold the whole thing into my in my hand, and I would repeat the same thing again, and then leaving it longer every time a little bit. So I did not repeat the same step, you know, like 10 times or for one week, etc. I actually moved pretty quickly, but in tiny little increments, so small that I see no change in her base behavior. So the concept is the same as for the cribbing in the sense that I built a clean behavior and then I start changing the environment a little bit. You know, I may then do a little bit of shaping the behavior again in the sense that maybe I put in, uh, you know, I'm moving away, come to me, it's a different type of targeting. And then I change the environment again in that I change the props in a tiny little increments, maintaining the behavior clean. So there's always a balance between shaping the behavior and shaping the environment, shaping the behavior, shaping the environment, watching her, reading her body language and change on the fly. If there is, if I see there's a little bit of tension, then I immediately check, okay, that was maybe a step too far before things, you know, fall apart before anything bad happens. I see already, she was a little hesitant. Um, let me go a step back, change, rebuild that, make sure it's clean with the emotional state that I want, and then I, I can move forward. And basically this way I reconstructed then the whole saddle with, I don't know if you want to go into all the details, but it's, it's uh, the idea is that you, you, I recreate the saddle in so many different pieces, so many different steps, maintaining always that behavior and emotional state that, that I want in the final behavior systematically by going through the same steps. So there was always me asking her to come towards me to target what I'm offering, whether that's the bareback pad or the saddle or the girth, the girth approximation. Um, there was always that I'm stepping away, waiting for her to come back to me. And before I do an action, there's an action from her side. So there's a constant dialogue in um, she cues me, I cue her, she cues me, I cue her, basically. And that way building up towards in many, many different steps towards the, the final behavior. You know, it's so when when you become an experienced trainer, when you describe all these little details, you know, and each one of them is important. And you could, you know, the stepping away is important. The pauses are important. And someone looking at you with your role <laughs> on the neck of your horse could say, you know, what is she doing? But it's it's taken you a long time to get there, you know, to get to the point where you're with your role on the neck of that horse and on your way to resaddling this horse, which someone looking at you would never know. They would think, you know, what is she doing? But the sum of knowledge that it takes to get from that roll on the neck to that saddle and looking from the outside, no one would know. But that's what a great trainer is, right? Yeah. It's all the sum of all this knowledge that this trainer, after this, they're gonna step away and it's really important and it looks like nothing. 
I mean, that's part of the that's part of the fun and how sneaky it all is because you're right. You know, you, you've got this rolled up polo wrap and you're holding it up, and the horse is putting bringing her neck over to it, and it's a really simple behavior. When you look right. at it, it's a really simple behavior. Anybody basically can hold a polo wrap <laughs> up in their hand. You know, we're, it's not like you're you're teaching her to piaf. That's the other horses, um, and, and and that'll be later. But you're just holding a polo wrap up in your hand. How simple can that be? This is really easy. But you're right, Dominique. It is the the concepts, the the understanding of the whole process and the whys mm -hmm. underneath the whats. Mm -hmm. That's what's yeah. really important. Well, thank you, Tommy. Because otherwise, you just get a saddle and put it on her back and, and hope that she desensitizes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you know, because desensitizing for someone who's never heard of it could be just, well, you put the saddle on and you give a lot of food, you know? Yeah. Right? I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for some horses, that would be enough. And for others, you'd spend the next however many years you're riding them, always starting out with that. Well, mm. probably not with the with the baseline. Yeah. yeah. But um, I mean, there's so and and even because I remember when I looked at at this video, you know, when we talk about splitting and you know making small steps, looking at this video, you know, I was thinking it. There's no end to it. <laughs> You think you think you've gone smallest, to yeah. the smallest imaginable and step. Well, your host tells you there's another step you have forgotten. <laughs> yes. Oh, and there and and there's no end to it if you if you want to, you know, because the girth you you went from the girth all the way back to a yeah. rolled up yeah, uh, yeah. leg wrap, not even and and you unrolled it bits by bits by yeah. bits. And so, then she, one of the clever things was the way, Michaela, when you were putting it, say you put it over Blondie's neck, mm. and then you would bend down a little bit to reach under her neck to, so that she was experiencing the motion that mm. you would go through mm. if you were girthing her up, but it's not associated with, no. with yeah. the girthing up of a saddle. And then the way you took that yeah, yeah. On her neck. it was yeah. so cleverly yeah. so the unwrapping was a the unwrapping was a, an important piece and i was sort of beginning to be clumsy yes. about it you know being touching here there and there and yeah um, that was yes. that was very clever <laughs> and you know because it's the sum of it all and and you mentioned before you know i i i was very um uh, adamant about going in a place where the, the the place itself was not attached to the emotion the, the the emotional behaviors and the emotional that she had attached with you know th that she was performing in the other area because who knows maybe if you did all this rolled up blah 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 in the wrong place yeah maybe it would have hindered your progress you know so all these details you know, I just love that there's so much going into it and that, you know, again, Alex, and, and it's funny, a, a lot of your experiment, you start with the target. 
And again, you know, we're thinking targeting. How simple can targeting be? I mean, yeah. okay, I've learned how to target. Now I'm done with this. It's over. I want to do other stuff. You do targeting at the beginning of, and, and basically the whole process you're describing yes. is targeting. I mean, tar yeah. targeting with the, the, the rolled up targeting with and targeting all kinds of parts of body. So, and part of the reason for that is because targeting, when you think about it, targeting is an active process. It's an active process. Very often it's not associated with anything, you know, it's, it's no, not a lot of, of traditional trainers do targeting, right? right? So it's a great tool for us when you want to start and get your horse moving, doing things that has no previous association. It's a great behavior. Yeah. And it, it but it has, it, it has that active agent component. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't just that Blondie stood still while Michaela put a saddle on her back. No, 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 no. Is that Blondie, had, Blondie came to something that Michaela was holding in her hands. So she was targeting her back. She was orienting to the target. Mm -hmm. It's an active yep. agent process. It's one of the reasons that targeting keeps coming up. You know, as part of the solution, that we're using something yeah. that requires that requires active participation, agency on the part of mm. the learner, so they have control. Yeah. So when you're saying I was not touching her with the role, she was coming to the role. The difference is what an inch. There's an inch difference between your hand going there and her coming to you but it's a whole world of difference for her you know that she comes to the role so again for someone looking at a distance they may not even see that difference you know that you're not touching her she's touching the role but I think it's so neat all these and then, you know and then you set up a very consistent routine mm -hmm. so that when you made a change so you unrolled the, the wrap but you followed the same, you followed the same pattern that you had done previous, just a few minutes before the session before when the wrap was rolled up. So every, there was so much predictability built into it, which kept, so she, she, she could understand so clearly what the process was going to be because you were consistent. But I think too that for us who do not have the research academic who are not a doctor um, and and do you know uh, these these research that are going to be published and then have to go through <laughs> peer review etc. We still should learn from that because I think this very rigorous uh, process is actually very beneficial for the learner. Yes. And, and the, use, the use of A-B reversals, I think, is really useful. You know, mm -hmm. is it this? Is it that? So mm -hmm. if, I, if I walk up to my horse wearing a Spider-Man costume, to use Jesus' favorite, you know, is my horse nice and calm and settled or uh, freaking out? <laughs> by, you know, it's, so you can do the A-B reversals. And, you know, if I feed my horse... With my, if I'm on the left side of my horse and I feed my horse with my left hand, 
what do I what do what do I get if I feed my horse with my right hand? What do I get? Oh, look at that! When I feed my horse with my left hand on the left side of the horse, my horse is in better balance. When I feed with my right hand, I'm collapsing through my ribs. I can see that I'm not in good shoulders over hips over feet balance. You can look at these AB reversals and then decide which one do I want to use. Should we define what we mean by that AB reversal very, very quickly? Like, because again, we did, uh, when, when we did our uh, podcast with Michaela on a single subject design, we did yeah. talk about ABA, but just like, so in, a, in three sentences, what is it? So you want to do the quickie, Michaela? On, <laughs> well, it's, on... it's, AB reversals. You, you kind of explained it when you, you yeah, it's it's you, very you it's, said with the saddle, but just to... it's very easy. Basically, you take uh, a baseline, which is what something you would normally do, and then you change one thing, and that's important, only one thing, and then you do the same thing again with that one change, and then you go back to the baseline as you always do it, and then you may repeat again with the same thing that you changed one more time. So basically you, to, you do it twice. Baseline, one change. Baseline, the same change again once. And then you see the effect of it. I think what people may miss is that they change too many things at a time. So if you, for example, you know, with this, with the saddle where I would stand next to Blondie and stroke her back and I go away and I pick up the saddle and I go back to her, you could argue that the only change I did was I picked up the saddle. If I would pick up the saddle and the bridle at the same time, I would have changed two things at the time. So you have to set it up there's only because otherwise you can't control. You wouldn't know what was the effect actually. Was it the bridle or the saddle or the both of them? And then it's not clean anymore. So you'd have to remember to change only one thing at a time. That's all. That's an ABA reversal. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit because you also, one of the challenges that Blondie presented was that when you put a lead on her, she was not mm. safe. She was also not safe without uh, the lead. And <laughs> she was also not safe without the lead. So you very definitely needed to begin with protective contact. But the her response, her previous training meant that for her, a lead was not the communication tool that we want it to be in our work and that she was very stiff and she was not the horse that the she was she was not physically able to give you the kind of ride that makes you smile and say this horse feels like I've died and gone to heaven which is what you are have become accustomed <laughs> to so can you talk a little bit about this process of changing Blondie's association with uh, lead ropes because you could, we couldn't go straight to, well, let me just hook a lead on and, and teach her to soften to it, that there was um, many more steps involved in that. But it's an important, it's another hugely important piece in this working with the crossover horses because so many of them will have negative associations with lead ropes, with reins, with basic leading, lunging, you know, basic handling. And their response will be to be stiff. Mm. 
So I think there are two things that I did that helped. Um, one was working in protective contact. Um, so I used the fetch toy, you know, which is um, so clearly something that she had no previous experience with. And I could do that from, from a distance. So I'm behind a barrier. So I taught her to, to fetch a toy and bring it to me. And uh, she was actually quite good at it. She could go really far to, <laughs> to go and get it for me. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then I could basically continue the play with the fetch toy and basically just put a lead on her halter but passively, so there's nothing I'm doing with the lead. I continue playing the fetch toy game and she just happens to have a lead rope on her. That was one thing. But then of course that does not yet teach her how to respond to the lead. That's just sort of an entry point into, you know, we're still doing fun stuff even though there's a lead rope attached to your halter. And to teach her how to, you know, respond softly mm -hmm. to the lead rope, that is where the Feldenkrais hug come in which i can start without halter and lead rope i can just start with the you know my hands on her face and softening into the give at the pole and the jaw which actually alex is better at explaining but that is uh, <laughs> that's uh, uh, that is a a lifelong study i would say that begins with teaching that that give you know to the hand where you have listening hands that are not making her you know bend over which is a different experience from what she's used to so she needs she needs to learn or she makes that experience that hands can be just there listening receiving soft gentle pleasant um and that this is you know she she gives click treat etc you know and that becomes a movement that is really soft and really yeah. And again, she's the active yes. agent because they are listening hands. So we are not, it's that it's the shaping on a point of contact. We're not putting our hands on her face and then moving her head. They are, we are simply the, there is, you're present, you are listening. There is a suggestion coming from your own good balance but it does not have a make it happen in it. Okay, I have a question because you guys are talking about listening hands. And so I want, I want a more concrete description of this. So, because I didn't see this, this word, this one is new for me. So when you say there is a suggestion coming from the fingers, do you mean that you are applying your fingertips to the horse's face, side of face, and that because at this point you want the horse to turn ever so slightly, right? You want it to bend like a, a millimeter, but are you, your suggestion is I'm putting the tip of my fingers on your skin. And if you think about going this way, I will click and treat. If you think about going in the direction that I, I am thinking about, I will click and treat. Is that what you're, so what do you mean by listening hand concretely? So it's more, it's, uh, I'm sure that you have, that you've had the experience of dancing with a, uh, a human partner. Yes. And there is that 
that sense of guidance. Yes. But if it's a good dancer. It's very pleasant. Being, yeah. It's very pleasant. But, but but there's a suggestion in the sense that right. this person is is pushing a little bit in the direction where they want me to go. It's very pleasant, but they're pushing. Right. And so so the work that you did prior to putting on the lead so that she would bend is is that what when you talk about a suggestion so you both both Michaela and I make use of the Feldenkrais work. And mm -hmm. we had Anita Snay. Um, well, we had her on the summer. podcast. Yes, yeah, we, we did. Right. So we've had it. We had a podcast uh, where and, and Anita's a Feldenkrais practitioner. Mm -hmm. So I would say we need to send people to. Uh, we, we, there's all kinds of homework listening to this, podcast, <laughs> to, to this conversation, which is just great. So we need to send people to Anita's podcast on the Feldenkrais work because it's it's not the most straightforward thing in the world to understand and, and explain. But you can explain it to me in a simple, in a simple way, in this context, in this context. Because your whole body is really involved in any ask that you are creating through the tactile sensation. Okay. So if, if You're I'm somebody- You're in good balance. I'm in good balance, but suppose I'm somebody who spends as I do, uh, the bulk of my life hunched over a computer keyboard, that may have an effect on my shoulders. So I might have shoulders that have ridden up a little bit, that have gotten a little hunched, where they're a little tight. And so when I bring my hands up and, and I'm hunching my shoulders as I'm saying this, so if I brought my hands up and put them one side and put them on my horse's face, as I have seen in the videos uh, where people are showing, illustrating the, the, what we refer to as this, you know, the hug, it's not a hug, that my horse might not give me the desired response because those hunched up shoulders are going to be blocking so much of what I, of the suggestions that I'm able to offer and the uh, response that from my horse that I'm able to feel. But basically what I'm hearing is you're in well, you're in good balance, you're, you're relaxed, you're self-aware, yep. and then you put your hands on the horse. It may what be you if you think about the behavior, what you, you just need to think in a way what, what you want. You know, you think it without doing mm -hmm. it, without asking for it. You just mm -hmm. think, my I want my horse to do this. And then... And you're doing it just for the listeners. Right. When you say, I want my right. horse to do I'm, this, you're kind of just slightly tilting your head a little bit. I, I, uh, right. I'm, I'm releasing at, at the, at the pole jaw area. And my hands are there to feel that, the response. Because if I'm just watching, I may see it, but I'm actually better. I get better feedback through my hands. Yeah. So my hands are not listening Absolutely. in a way of receiving that give and noticing it so I can land a click on it rather than making it happen. So just, I thought of imagining it happening and then that gives enough information to the horse. And I actually just need to wait because in a, at a, after a while it will come. But the hands yeah. are there to notice it. Right, so the, right, the hands right. are, Absolutely. Yeah. there are different places where you can put it. Alex likes to teach it with the hand over the outside nostril and the other hand is under the chin. It's another pair of eyes. That. 
Okay, so it's, it's better than your eyes because you're feeling it. So it's another way to see, to look. And to... it also begins to introduce the horse to tactile communication. So a lead rope is tactile communication. And you know the, a rein represents tactile communication. When we ride and our body is around the horse and there are subtle weight shifts, that's all tactile communication. And for many of these horses, tactile communication has meant uh, something that's very uncomfortable, that has a threat embedded in it, that can be something that you want to avoid. We want to build tactile communication where the horse is not trying to avoid, escape, get away from, mm -hmm. but is really using the information, using the information to get to the reinforcement that she wants. And and also discovering that through these subtle shifts in her body, that the movement becomes really very pleasurable. So that was a big parenthesis. So, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so back to the lead. So you were you you're working on the horses with your fingers, and how do you get um, what what comes next? Well, do we. It was a very yes. interesting parenthesis. Well, this yes. is actually <laughs> the beginning of everything else. <laughs> Because from that you go into into just walking on the lead with a horse that is relaxed on the information that comes through the lead, because the horse knows you know what you are asking and knows how to respond and and which actually helps the horse also to walk in a in a better balance to put him herself you know in a in a in a healthier soft elegant movement. But then it translates into writing, it translates into lateral work, it translates into whatever you, you are doing with a horse. It's the it's the yeah, the core, <laughs> the core of it all, <laughs> if you want. So if if you got that from the beginning and you carry it forward, you solve a lot of problems and you teach many things and uh, you prevent many things as well because you you don't you don't work against resistance you're always working with the because the reliefs the release that you get through that work that starts in the head and neck and travels throughout the spine is what allows you to do any other movement in consent with the horse because if he, he or she doesn't consent you would not get the gift so if you get the gift you can ask for something else and you know that your horse is with you doing it if you are, if you notice that there is already you notice already at that point that the horse is stiff because he doesn't give you you cannot ask for more because the horse is not there with you yet so if, in a way it's it's already uh, you know can we move on yes or no so i would always start with the give it's not a clean loop no exactly if if you don't get that give you need to go back and get the give first and then you can ask for the next step it's that tiny tiny you know how how small is your starting point? Mm. You know, is it a rolled up polar wrap? Is it uh, a wisp of hay that you're offering this horse who cribs? Is it this tiny whisper of a movement? That you couldn't even see with your eyes. No, not, not unless you were really tuned into the whole process. And even then you might not. But yeah, these tiny, tiny beginning points and that grow into such incredible changes and that 
you know, where the training really accelerates fast once you start to have the pieces together. Because right now, you're starting to ride Blondie. And you're just the, the first couple of rides, the videos that you sent me were just astounding. Because there's this horse who's already beautifully soft and round and lovely. And that's not how she started. No. By any stretch of the imagination. Well, you know, she probably, you know, when you when you think about the sessions that you were describing to me, Alex, where someone would take a horse and in an hour, a very spectacular demonstration where a horse would be bucking and by the end of the hour or even less, they would have the saddle on and they would be uh, ridden and it looked very amazing to a lot of people, but there was a very damaged horse being ridden and a lot of problems to come for the owner of that horse that had it submitted to the demonstration because it's the opposite of this kind of work. You know, it's very spectacular and you can submit a horse in a very short time, but- Well, the, the other piece of that is, you know, we talked about the, uh, you know, it, the behavior looks so simple. It, you're just holding up a, a polar wrap, but it's the concepts, it's the ideas that sit behind it. Well, these concepts are teachable. You know, that's what we're going to be doing at the Clicker Expo. We're going to be sharing the video of Blondie and, and talking about the underlying concepts. So we're really looking at the the why behind the what. Most of us, we might need a little bit of coaching help to for the creativity of, okay, okay, Michaela, this is what I'm doing with, with my horse. What's, what's my next step? But most of us, if Michaela said, I want you to go out and hold a polo wrap up and have your horse target to the polo wrap, we would be able to do it. But some of these other techniques, unless you've had you know, 20 years of working with, uh, start, you know, this starting this year's ranch horses, you know, saddle breaking 20 youngsters for the last 20 years, you better not be using some of these other techniques because you'll get, you'll get hurt or the horse will get hurt. But you're not going to get hurt standing behind with protective contact and having your horse fetch. You know, teaching your horse to fetch. I think too, there's, you know, there's certainly a cultural shift because, you know, when you use the word consent, Michaela, I think if I had asked that same, what does consent look like to an old cowboy 50 years ago, it might not be what you're describing today as consent, you know? So things are evolving. I think the, the, we look at things very differently now. But I think this is actually a really great segue for another topic that we wanted to explore a little bit. And that's the Stallion Project. Because, you know, what, what Dominique is describing of horses that are started fast and that there's a consequence to that is really what the Stallion Project is looking at. So do you want to us in a little bit. This is definitely a good stopping place. 
because we are about to change topics completely. The Stallion Project is an important welfare initiative that Michaela is helping Anya Barron with. Anya Barron is a classical trainer whose work Michaela and I both very much admire. But we're going to leave that for next time. And I will just say right now that if you have ever dreamed of owning a warm blood, you will especially want to listen to this episode. For now, I'll just remind you that Michaela and I will be presenting together at the January Clicker Expo. So if you want to see what we've been talking about, we'll be showing the videos that we've been referring to. So you can see what some of these lessons look like. If you want to see the effect of listening hands or what Michaela is actually doing with the polo wrap in the saddling project, you can join us at the Clicker Expo and watch the videos during the program. The Clicker Expo is a virtual event, so it doesn't matter where in the world you live, you can still participate. Go to clickertraining.com to learn more or just Google the Clicker Expo and you'll, you'll find it on the internet. In addition to our program, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz and Mary Hunter will also be presenting. And what they're going to be sharing and what we're doing, all of this work is interconnected. So the expo will be a great opportunity to assemble some major pieces of the training puzzle. And of course, if you want to go even deeper, into the science and the practical applications of the kind of work that Michaela and I have been presenting here, then come join us in February and September for our science camps. That's when Jesus, Michaela, Mary, and I all get together along with Anita Schnee, and we have three just glorious days in which we get to explore these concepts. Anita is a Feldenkrais practitioner so if you've been intrigued by our reference in this podcast to the Feldenkrais work, you'll get to experience it firsthand during Science Camp. To learn more about Science Camp, visit my website, theclickercenter.com. We have an early bird price for the February event, which will run through the end of December. So if you're interested, we're beginning to run short on spaces, so do consider signing up now rather than waiting until later. So I think that's it for now. And next time we'll open a third present when Michaela introduces us to the stallion project that she and Anya Baron are working on. And until then, happy holidays, everyone, and have fun with your horses. <laughs>